Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Quite a question we're going to uh, grapple with today, isn't it? Is there a God? Pretty big. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I, I think that most people throughout their lives probably have asked that question at least once. And, and I'll have to admit that, you know, I have said, is this whole God thing really true at certain times in my life? And, and if not that, I've said, if there is a God, well, then where is he? I'm hurting right now, and, and I don't really see him. I don't really feel him. My prayer is that today, as we dig into God's autobiography, which is the Bible, that the Holy Spirit will use those words to let us believe everything that God reveals about himself. And it's some pretty cool stuff. You know what's interesting, too, is that whether you're a skeptic about God or you've been a believer your entire life, the more you open the Bible and learn about God, the more you actually learn about yourself. It's quite interesting. So let's do that. Let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 17. And if you don't have your Bibles, you can get out your crosswalk notes here, or you can follow above on the screen. And let's dig into God's word and see what he says about himself. But let's set the scene here. What's going on in Acts chapter 17? Well, Paul the Apostle was in Athens, Greece, which basically Athens, Greece was the hub of of all knowledge and and all new things of the day. That's the place you would go to talk about great things going on in the world. Okay? And so Paul was there, and also in Athens, Greece, tons of false idols. I mean, thousands of false gods. These people were worshiping God after God after God. And, and Paul saw this, and earlier in the chapter, it says that he was really bummed out. He was really distressed that all these people were turning to things that didn't work turning to to gods that were not active living gods. They had false hope. So Paul starts discussing. And he starts in the synagogue, and then the discussion about God spills out into the marketplace. They're, They're in the public air talking about this. And Paul ends up at a place called the Areopagus, which basically was the place of meeting, the place where people would come to just talk about new ideas. Mostly the men would gather, talk about religion, talk about morals, and there Paul was, and he was laying his case. So let's, uh, let's see what he had to say. So we'll start in verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription. To an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown. I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it. Is the Lord of heaven and earth. And does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands. As if he needed anything. Because he himself gives all men life and breath. And everything else. From one man he made every nation of men. That they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them. And the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. 
kind of interesting that Paul spoke these words nearly 2,000 years ago, and not a lot has changed since then in some respects. Now, we might not have an Areopagus where we go to to discuss the hot topics of our day. We don't all meet at one area and then lay out all these issues. But we do have that dimly lit table in Starbucks, don't we? Where we talk with people and talk with our friends. Maybe our own Areopagus is the water cooler at the office. Or what about your kid's soccer practice, right? We get into a lot of discussions in, in a lot of different places. Perhaps at a party or a social gathering of some kind. We have our own personal Areopagus where we talk about issues. Okay, well, just like in Paul's day, you know, there was a lot of false gods in Athens. A lot of things that people put their trust in. Today, what do people put their trust in? Money? Maybe another person, another relationship? Or perhaps in in themselves? They think they'll get themselves through life. If I only can, can suck it up and gut it out, you know, I'll make it. And, you know, just like in Paul's day... When the subject of God comes up, there'll be some people who will say, you know, it's nothing but nonsense. If you've ever talked to someone about your faith, you know that sometimes people think you're just babbling. They think that you're like that guy that comes out of a sporting event, you know, and has the megaphone and he's, you know, just yelling at everyone. It's just babbling nonsense. And then, just like in our text today, there'll be some people who really think it's interesting stuff. Maybe they don't agree with you, but this idea of, of a true God in, in the Bible, man, that's, that's pretty interesting. I, maybe I want to listen a little more. And then what about Paul himself? Paul was a Christian who God had changed. He used to be Saul, this guy who persecuted Christians, killed Christians, and now he was one of the greatest evangelists. He knew that God had personally touched his life, had changed him. And he just wanted others to listen, just wanted others to know the God that he knew. So he spent his life doing that. I think that's true today. There are thousands, if not millions of people who know that God has really affected their life and they just want someone to tell it to. If only someone would listen. Right. So now what does uh, what does Paul do here? What does he talk about? Well, it says here, you know, that he says, I even found an inscription to an unknown God. And if you go above that, he says, men of Athens, I see in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So the issue of God comes up and what does Paul do? Tell you what he doesn't do. Some of us, when we talk about our faith, we like to get the word of God. We like to wrap it around a hammer, right? And to those people who don't believe, we like to say, believe, just gonna just drill it in your head already. Look at the way that you're living. Look at the way that you are. Let me just pound it and pound it. And what does Paul do here? When he's speaking to people who obviously are not Christ followers, don't know the true God, how does he open up? He compliments them. He says, I see that in every way you're religious. You know, you're, you're searching. You're searching. 
He walks around and carefully observes their objects of worship. He's involved in their life. He cares about them. He's not just going to wrap the word of God around a hammer and slap them across the face, hoping to knock some sense into them. He meets them where they're at. He doesn't tell them to come up to him. He goes down to them. And Paul is the famous guy who said that quote. I want to become all things to all men so that some might become saved. Right? At Crosswalk, what we like to say is we want to contend for the faith and contextualize Christianity. Okay, what does that mean? Let me illustrate here. My closed hand means I'm contending for the faith. That means that what I believe about God in God's word, I am not going to budge one bit. I'm not backing down. I'm not giving in. Even if other people's viewpoints might change, even if the world changes, if times change, what God says in his word, it cannot be budged upon. I can't add or subtract for it. I am contending for the faith. It is a strong, firm grip. And at the same time, I have an open hand, contextualizing Christianity, which means I will do everything I can. I will become all things to all men. I will meet them where they're at. When we're talking with people who don't know Christ as their Savior, we want to meet them where they're at, bottom line. So I encourage you to do that whenever you have discussions like this, just like Paul did. Now, where does he go from here? You know, Paul's a brilliant guy. In this whole paragraph here, he uses the things that that the Athenians would relate to to talk about the true God. He even uses things about false gods to, to show that God is true. Look at the altar. The Athenians made an altar that said to an unknown God. They, they were so religious that they made altars to God that they didn't even know it would exist. They didn't want to offend anyone, so we'll just make an, an uh, altar to an unknown God. Wow. They would have been good in politics, I think. You know, they, they just covered all their bases. And God uses that to help Paul illustrate a point. Okay, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to show you a God that is the real God. So basically, if this God is unknown, how do you know, Paul? If I don't know, how do you know? Paul used the word of God. He used his own Bible. Not doesn't look like the one that you and I use, but he used the words and promises that were written down to tell people about the true God. Now, that kind of is interesting when you talk to someone who's an atheist. Or more importantly, someone who, who talks about polytheism, right? That all roads lead to the same destination. If I'm a Buddhist, if I'm a Muslim, if I'm a Jehovah's Witness, if I'm a Mormon, you know, we're all trying for the same thing. They're all going to end up praising the same God. And the thing is, is that God says he is unknown to you and I. And the only way that we hear about him is through the word. So there is a God, but we only find him in the word of God. And not all gods are the same. The true God is the one that comes from the word of God. And you know, the other thing Paul does is he uses Greek poets, the end of this paragraph. Greek poets that didn't believe in the true God of the Bible. And he used their words and phrases to show, yeah, that applies to God. That applies to the true God. I mean, he was a brilliant guy. He met them where they're at. So what's his first point here? What does he get into? Well, let's see here. 
I'm at verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. So Paul says, you want to know God? First, direct your eyes up. God is the God who created the universe. He created every single human being, you and I. He made the sun and the moon and the stars. He is a God that is huge, that is transcendent, that we can't comprehend. Have you ever thought about space? Thought about that huge expanse up above us and how many galaxies and stars there are billions of miles away? It's like, wow, our God is amazing and he's amazingly powerful. Right here it says in Psalm, the book of Psalms here, Psalm 19, 1 to 2, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they display knowledge. Some of you know I uh, am running a before and after care program at Eagle College Prep. Spent a lot of time uh, with kids between the ages of, you know, five, six, seven, eight. And the other day, little girl walks in my room after I thought that she had been uh, dismissed with her with her grandmother, and her grandma says, uh, "Mr. Bischoff, Soleil would like to show you something." So I said, "Okay." So I take her hand, and we waddle outside, and she's talking about something, not sure. And we get outside, and, and then she, she kind of quiets up, and her eyes get big, and she points. She says, look. And I see this gorgeous Arizona sunset. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, purple and orange and pink and all these beautiful colors and clouds. And, and, and her grandma says, who made that? She said, well, God did. Kind of like, what, were you questioning that? You see, whether you're a little kid or a big kid, and even if someone doesn't believe in the true God of the Bible, what does it say? The heavens pour out the knowledge of God. You look up, you see the sun, you see the stars, you see storms happening, and you just can't help but say, there's something greater than me. There is a God. There's no doubting it. How did all of this come to be? The Bible says that those things pour forth that, yes, I am here. I am your God. And that shows his greatness. You know, the other thing that happens, though, when we look up and we see how big God is, what do we realize about ourselves? We realize how small we are. And we realize that we don't match up to a holy just God who's so smart that he created the universe and is holy and just and demands that of us. And we look up and we say, wow. You know, uh, bring the hammer back. Instead of hammering someone else, like I was talking about, when we look up and we see how great God is, doesn't it sometimes feel like the hammer is coming right down on us when we sin when we say bad things about someone, sometimes we commit things that are so bad and, and we feel so bad about them that we're almost physically ill. It hurts, doesn't it? Guilt hurts. And the Bible says that it reaches up to the heavens. If you look here in Ezra, chapter 9, verse 6, Oh my God, I am too ashamed and disgraced to lift up my face to you, my God. 
because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. So our God is a God that is huge, that is big. And he's also a God that demands perfection. So your God, the first point, your God exists and he is above us. So, you know, I used to be a, uh, used to be a high school teacher for three years. So I kind of, you know, like whiteboards. And it's seven wonders of the modern mind, right? So I figured I could get a whiteboard out. I am not a good artist, so bear with me here. Simple thing. I'm going to put me here. That could be all of us. I've got kind of big ears, so I'll put some big ears there. I've got a little bit of hair, so we'll do that. So that represents me or or you. And the first point we learned is that, well... God's above us. We see the stars. We see the clouds. We realize that we don't match up to him. He's above us. And that's definitely the first point that Paul makes. Well, then, you know, Paul goes into a little history about God. He says here, um, says here, he continues, and he says, the God who made the world and everything in it. Oh, I'm sorry. There we go. The God who made the world, everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. From one man, he made every nation of men. So he tells a little history about God, right? He says that you and I were created by him and that he created the entire world. So basically, God was there at the creation of man because he created man. God was there at the creation of the world because he created the world. So basically, God always has been there. He was there even before the existence of time. That's what the Bible tells us. He was there before us. He's seen it all before. What else does it say here? Well, if we look here at Revelation 22, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. So basically, Jesus was speaking these words, and he was saying, I am the first and the last. I am A to Z. I always have been, and I always will be. What's the big deal about that? You know, sometimes I, I hear people talk about God is eternal. Okay, so he's been here forever. He will be here forever. What? So what? You know? The big deal is that God knows how to handle the big deals in your life because he's been doing it for thousands of years. You know, you and I are going through a really tough economic time, aren't we? Probably the worst that we've ever seen. It's not the worst God has seen. He knows the solution. He knows how to pull us through. Maybe you just lost a loved one or someone sick in your family. Realize that God has seen every person on earth close their eyes in death. And he knows how painful it is. And he knows how to comfort us. He knows everything about us. He's seen it all before. It's pretty amazing, huh? That our God has been there before and he'll be there after us. And he's always there for us. It's kind of like, why do students, let's say, math students in a calculus class, really hard calculus class, why do they look up 
to their teacher, and, and, they, and they know that their teacher will help them. Why do they even show up to class and they, and they listen and believe to what their teacher says about calculus? Well, because he's done all the math before, hasn't he? He's gone through the book. He knows the solutions. He knows how to guide them. God knows all the solutions. He's done the math in life before. He's seen it happen. Or when children look up to their parents and they say, Mom, Dad, what do I do in this situation? I don't know. Why do they look to their parents? Because their parents have experience and they've done it before. God has done it before. He's an eternal God. Look to him. He's got the answers. And you know, the other thing is he's never going to leave you. If he's the first and the last, he definitely is right now. And he's in control. So know that. Know that God made the world before us, everything. And that's our second point, that there is a God, and he is before us. And if he's before us, he'll last forever. So let's, uh, let's add that on here. So, you know, I, I think I got, I'm not a good math student, but I think this, you know, would represent no end and no beginning, open arrow, so that's the second point about God. He's the open arrow, both sides, beginning and end. Pretty interesting. Well, now Paul talks about things a little more close and personal. He talks about how great God is, how God's this, this amazingly powerful God. He created the heavens and earth, and he's eternal, and all these great, mysterious things. And now what does he say? Verse 27, the end of it. He is not far from each one of us. That is a big shock and a big point. You mean that, that this God who is huge and, and created everything, and he's close to me? He's right here, near? Yes, he is. Do you know the Bible says that God is so close to you, he can count the number of hairs on your head? And for some of us, God has to subtract that number each day, but he still knows the number of hairs on your head. He's that close to you. What does it say in verse 28? In him we live and move and have our being. That sounds like a God who is really close. If in him we live and move and have our being. The Bible also talks about that, that for Christ's followers, for believers, Christ lives in us. That we're dead to our old way of life. We're dead to living to the pattern of this world. And we live for Christ and in Christ. And that's close if someone's living inside of you, right? That's not far away. That's right here. That's personal. So Paul gets more and more into this is the God for you. Not just the God of the universe. Not just the God of, of creation and eternity. But the God who's right here for you. What does Jesus say in Matthew 28? Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Not like those things that we put our trust in, like money, which is there and probably right now isn't there for us. Not like other relationships where people can get mad at us and, and we might make people mad ourselves. And, you know, if we trust in those things, they'll fail. People die, don't they? And I know if I trust in myself, boy... I don't have to tell anyone that, that I've let myself down. I've broken oaths I've made to myself and haven't kept on promises that I wanted to do. But God says that he's always there for us. He'll be with us to the very end of the age. 
You know, our God isn't a God who just stands up on his heavenly throne and looks down, but he gets in the trenches with his people, doesn't he? He leads the battle charge in the daily wars of life. He doesn't stand on the sideline. He gets in the game, and he's our quarterback leading us. What better way did he show that, that God is with us, than by sending us his son, Jesus? And the next verse here in John talks about the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And the word here is Jesus. You know, there's another word for Jesus, and that's Emmanuel. And that literally means God with us. Not God above us, not God way out there, God with us. And it's kind of funny because Christmas is coming up soon. And the name Emmanuel is a lot of times used with Christmas because really Christmas is all about Jesus. That God sent his son, born of a woman. He was full God and full man, true God and true man, and he grew up. And as he grew up, you were on his mind when he didn't give into temptation. When people were trying to get him to sin and to be conceited and to lust, people were trying to get him to disobey God, he thought about you when he said, no, I'm not going to do that. And he lived perfectly for you. He didn't budge one bit. But he met people where they were at. You know, the other thing is, is that when he suffered and died on the cross innocently, as he was getting the, the nails pounded into his hands and into his feet, your face was imprinted on his mind. And he was dying for your sins so that you could have life. And as he said the words on the cross, it is finished. Know that it is your name that he whispered on his lips, giving you salvation, giving you hope. A God that lived with us, a God that died for us, is a God that is with us, is a God that loves us and is right here with us, isn't he? And that's our third point. There is a God, and he is definitely always with us. God is with us. So I go back to my little whiteboard here and so God's above us, and it also says that God is with us. And he comes down. Jesus was with us. He's eternal. And then Paul continues here. Paul says that from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. Verse 26. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. I wonder if Paul ever just stopped and smelled the roses. If he ever just stopped and kind of looked out and said, wow. I'm talking to all of these Athenians, these people of, of Greece that worship all these false gods. And I'm telling them about the true God. I was a guy who was changed by God, and here I am, and, and I'm telling this, this great, amazing message. And I wonder if Paul ever realized that God would use his words and his actions to change the hearts and minds of so many people in the future. I wonder if Paul ever knew that. Because these words right here speak really to Paul and to you and I, but Paul had to be assured that, you know what? God determined the exact place where Paul would live and the exact time 
where he would be born. God said, you know what? I want Paul to be in that Areopagus talking about me. And I want him to be doing it at this time period. Because I chose that for him. And know this. Know that God chose you to be here today. And I don't mean just on planet Earth. I mean in Levine or in Phoenix or wherever you live. God wanted you to be there. Now, he does give us, you know, the ability to choose where we live and the clothes that we want to wear, the food we want to eat. But he tells us, you're here for a reason. I put you here in the 21st century because I want men to seek me and to reach out to me and to try to find me. So that's in two levels. Let's say you're still a skeptic about God. You're not sure if this whole God thing really is true. He brought you here today to hear a message about God, didn't he? And let's say that that you've been believing your whole entire life or, or you're now a believer. Is God using you as a light in your circumstances, whatever they are in life, whatever they are at work, at home, so that people will reach out to him and find him? Is he going to use you to do that? You see, as Christ followers, we have a mission. And Paul was getting to this. We have a mission. I'd like to also look at at Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Tells us about what that mission is. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So our mission is to be witnesses, right? And notice that God didn't say You are to be my lawyers. You are to slam the hammer down and accuse people. What do witnesses do? They tell the truth. They tell what they've seen. They tell what they've heard. They just witness. And that's what God calls us to do. And look in this verse. Who gives us the power to do it? God does. Basically saying, God's got your back. He's put you on a mission to be here, to tell others about him. And then he gives you the ability and the power to carry out that mission in whatever way it is. And it's different for each one of us. Now, I know there's a lot of things that you think about when it comes to witnessing and talking about your faith. Boy, it can be a real intimidating thing, can it? Wow. Sharing what I believe with someone else, you know, the, the, the deep parts of my heart and soul. I mean, I have trouble just talking about a football game with people, and, and you're asking me to do this? Wow. Well, let's see what Jesus says here. Matthew 10. Do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. You know, Jesus was saying this to his disciples. And he had just got done telling them, fellas, you're going to have it rough. You're going to be handed over to councils and to governors, and you're going to speak in front of kings. Not just your friends, but really important people, and you're going to be called to be witnesses. And these people might not want to hear what you have to say, but you're going to speak anyway. What? To talk in front of kings and in front of people that are really important? And what does God say? Don't worry. I know you're worrying about it, but don't worry. I'm the one that has the power. I'm the one that will tell you what to say. You see, when we talk about people, 
talk to people about our faith. The Holy Spirit, the most powerful force in the universe, is behind us. And he says, I got your back. And he says, I won't leave you. I'll be there for you. You know, I think that sometimes uh, it's not a question of being intimidated. I mean, some of us, I mean, we'll, we'll talk to, you know, we'll talk to a doorpost, right? We, we don't care. I just want someone to talk to. I'll talk to a brick wall. How you doing? You know, just keep talking. And it's not a problem for us to, to talk about our faith. But, you know, I think, at least for me personally, a lot of the times it's, it's time. It's taking the time to get to know someone and then to tell them about my life, my life story and Jesus' story. You know, I find ironic that here I was called to be the director of outreach at a church. And so basically that means that my job is to tell others about Jesus and to train others so that they can tell others about Jesus. But yet I say I don't have time because my job's too busy, but that is my job. Kind of, you know, I have no excuse. Absolutely no excuse. So have you thought about if, if maybe the thing is just time? That if we thought about others more than our own life, that, that maybe that would be the thing? Well, know this. Know that the God that, that is above you and before you and with you is he's behind you. And that's our last point. God is behind you. When you are fulfilling your life's mission, you've got the most powerful force, which is the Holy Spirit. And don't think that's something little and small. That is the power of God to change the hearts of people. So that's some pretty cool, interesting stuff. All right, well, there's still the fact that I got to open my mouth and, and talk to people. And, you know, let me tell you something. The, the, the topic of God isn't something that, you know, you just casually bring up in conversation in our circles, right? It's not like you're sipping coffee with your friend Bob, and you're like, Bob, great coffee, huh? Yeah, great coffee, great. How about that game last night? Oh, it was a great game, great game. Great weather, yeah, great weather. Do you believe in God? You know, it doesn't happen that way. And some of us think that we have to do that. We get all like nervous, and our, our stomach tries to churn up, and we've got to get out the God thing, the God thing, right there and then. And, and that sometimes makes us a little nervous. Well, well, here's what I say. What about that whole time thing? And here are some things, some tips that maybe you can use that can help you prepare someone so that you can tell them your story. The first one is N, notice. Got a little funny story about how I didn't notice something yesterday. I walk into the post office, post net, where they have little cards and you can send a birthday card and then mail it. Because I had to mail something for my uncle. Okay, I'm watching his house and I have his prescription. I got to mail it to him and... So I bought a birthday card for my sister, and I bought it at the place, and I filled it out, and I brought my own stamp, and I put the stamp on the card, put it in the card, and then I put it in the mail slot, okay? And then I go up, and I'm going to pay for, uh, for the package that I'm sending to my uncle. And the lady's kind of looking at me a little bit, and I give her my card, and, and she says, um, sir, did, did you just take that card and put it in the envelope and put it in the mail? And I said, oh, uh, yes, I'm so sorry. I, you know, here she thinks I'm, you know, stealing this card here and uh, about to call the police. I'm like, I'm sorry. I just, I, I just didn't notice. I didn't take the time. Sorry about that. I'm trying to, you know, smooth it over. And so then she prints out my receipt and I sign it and use my debit card. And 
I sign it, and I'm walking out the door, and she says, uh, uh, sir, sir, that's my pen that you have. So she really thinks that I'm a thief here. Uh, I'm stealing her pen, and there's going to be a picture of me on the door. This guy steals cards and pens. Don't let him in. And it really was because I didn't notice, because why? I was in a rush. It's in a rush to get the card in, put it in, get the pen out the door. I got all these things to do, and I just didn't notice someone around me. I didn't notice things. Take time to notice people around you. Stop thinking about yourself and start looking at other people. What about that coworker that might be kind of down? Do you think a simple, honest, hey, how are you doing, might help? Notice what people are wearing, what books they read. Take an interest in another person. I know it takes time. Second one is L is listen, right? Some people say listening people to faith. What what that really means is people want to talk, right? They want to tell you about everything in their life. They want to tell you about their little dog and the little cute outfit they just bought for him and how Junior just got their first tooth and how their wife is leaving hair in the sink and all this stuff. They just want to get it out. They want someone to listen to. So what does that take? That just takes time, again, to sit there and to honestly listen to what they're saying and to let their words and actions influence us on our response. So we notice someone, we listen to them, and then finally we pray. And I like to say, pray behind their back. You know, if you're talking to a coworker who's not sure about God and you say, hey, I'm going to pray for you, he might be weirded out, right? Like, what, am I going to be levitating or something? What's going on? You don't have to tell him. Say a prayer to God that, you know, somehow, God, I really hope that somehow your word enters into this person's life and that you use me in any way I can so that the Holy Spirit will change their hearts. I really hope that. So if we notice and we listen and we pray, someone might just be willing to hear what we have to say, won't they? Because we took an interest in them. We noticed them. We were there for them. And then we can tell them the greatest story, and that's Jesus' story. We can tell them about how we have a God who is above us, how we don't match up to him, a God that is eternal, that always will be, but a God that is with us, right, that came. Jesus came to save us. And what does that form? Well, it forms a cross. And that cross is behind us. God is behind us. He'll be the one guiding you and directing you and helping you through your whole life. Now let's take a look at our crosswalk notes and the next steps. And to see some things that maybe we can challenge ourselves to. First one is challenge yourself to read up on God. Commit to reading one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John this week. Now, maybe you have your own personal devotions, or maybe you're trying to think of what should I do. I encourage you this week to try to dedicate yourself to reading either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and read up on the story of God, okay? Then, how about notice a friend who needs God? Listen to their story, pray for them, and then tell them that God is, how God is in your own personal story. So that notice, listen, and pray. And that sets it up for talent. And finally, meditate on and memorize Matthew 10, 19 to 20. 
So let's see if we can challenge ourselves to that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just discussed an, an issue that uh, humans for all time have had. Is there a God? Do you really exist? Please let us know that um, you are a God who is above us, this great transcendent God, and we, and we don't match up to you. Um, but we know that, that you are with us, and we know that you are behind us by sending us your Son. And Lord, when it comes to witnessing and telling other people about our faith, we, we know it's, it's a tough thing. We know that we get really apprehensive and we're a little uh, embarrassed and we might not be the most polished speakers and, and let us find ways where we can maybe tell others about Christ. Maybe not even in spoken speech. Maybe we invite them to church. Maybe we uh, mention something in the Christmas letters we're about to write to our friends. We just ask that you give us the, the strength and the power to, to look and listen and, and notice people outside of ourselves because you did that for us. You noticed us. You listened to us, and you sent your son for us. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.